Hello, Podwalkers, and thanks for listening to another episode of Goblin Lore. In this episode, we talk about artificial planes in Magic the Gathering and what we can learn from them and the planeswalkers who shaped them about shaping our own lives and our own realities. This episode is coming out a week later than we anticipated because of the run-up to Grand Prix Minneapolis, which the entire cast of Goblin Lore attended, and therefore we had to do a little bit of preparing in order to be good hosts here in Minneapolis. So from this point forward, we'll be back on our regularly scheduled programming every week Friday at around noon. Without any further ado, let's get to the show. Hello, Podwalkers, and welcome to another episode of Goblin Lore. And today's episode, we are talking about how to make your own plane with just a few household items. We're going to be digging into uh, artificial planes, what their purpose is in the multiverse, where they came from, and what the ability to make a plane out of thin air or, you know, duct tape uh, means for our lives in the real world. But before we get there, I am going to turn it over to my co-host to introduce themselves and tell us all what is the building material you would use to create your own plane. Well, I'm Alex. Uh, we found uh, at Alexander Newm on Twitter, uh, and you know, right now I'm thinking the material I would probably use is uh, is some good memory foam. It might just be because the last week or two have been kind of rough at work and i'm kind of tired right now but i think that's where i'm at currently i like that memory foam <laughs> just and just anywhere you want you just stop and take a nap yeah <laughs> <laughs> well i am hobbs q and you can find me at hobbs q on twitter um for me i i kind of was thinking about this because uh before we got on air i was mentioning to the guys neither of whom have read well alex has read but it's been a while hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy and all I could really think of was Slardy Bartfast, one of my favorite characters of all time, basically telling like he 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 creates planets for like the uber rich, like this the, the I mean they're the ones who create Earth to be this giant computer, blah blah blah. But one of the things that he's really proud of is the fact that he built the fjords in Norway, and now I really just want a planet with fjords. Like it's a fun word. Fjords look really cool. It's. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't see how this could go bad. You guys could combine the two, and then you just have one giant, like, uh, water theme park lazy river. So, like, yeah. Wisconsin? Yeah, it would basically be the Wisconsin Dells. We just alienated a whole bunch of our podcast listeners that don't know anything about the Midwest. <laughs> and I'm your host, Joe Rediman. You can find me on Twitter, at Findhorn. That's F-Y-N-D horn. Um, and I'm going to just go obvious here. I would make my plane out of duct tape. I used to be one of those uh, grunge kids, one of the, you know, almost emo kids. Like we were we were like proto emo back in the day. And so, you know, of course, we had the like the furry wristband, not like furries, but like the fluffy wristbands that had like Metallica in stitched on them. And we would make wallets out of duct tape. We would make like backpack i had somebody uh, a friend of mine made a backpack out of duct tape you know you could do anything with duct tape so that's what i'd go with my friend and i used to do the whole like uh we never actually larped in the sense of like doing role playing we just made the swords and sword fought uh and uh some people at a like a kmart i think literally thought that we were um 
trying to make bombs at one point because we were buying just PVC pipe and insulation foam. Well, what else would you be doing? You wouldn't be LARPing like some sort of, you know, nerd. Right. I mean, to be fair, in my area, LARPing was probably the last thing that anybody would have thought. So I, we played like maybe once or twice, but we wore outfits. I, I basically was a cosplayer is what I is what I can determine now. Proto cosplayer, too. Proto, you, proto cosplayer. Also. You were much cooler. You you got like you got in on a much cooler trend before it happened than I did. Christine Sprankle better than My Chemical Romance, in my opinion. <laughs> Least controversial thing said on this cast so far. <laughs> Let's pivot to our main topic of the night. We're talking about artificial planes. And we've had a long history of planes being made in Magic the Gathering. Uh, but we need to first sort of talk about how those come to be. How does a plane happen outside of just a natural plane that shows up. And the, the first thing is, you know, the definition here is provided by uh, MTG Wiki. So go check that out. If uh, you know, It's got a, a lot of great Vorthos content on there. Uh, really good stuff for the most part. And you can edit it if it's wrong, which is even better. Um, but artificial planes are planes created by planeswalkers. Makes sense. Any artificial plane will eventually collapse and all matter in the plane will be converted to energy. Also makes sense if you know about sort of the entropy and, and you know, chaos energy of our own universe. Makes sense that the energy of a plane that's sort of like pushed together forcefully rather than naturally would, would dissipate. Uh, I mean, this also kind of shows us, too, that this is our first kind of real-world science analog that we kind of have in the things that we've been discussing, I would say. In this idea that it, it does appear that for at least some purposes of what we've been talking about, the laws of thermodynamics do apply to the Magic the Gathering multiverse. Yeah, which is pretty cool. Like, we don't see, I mean, magic is much more of a fantasy property than it is sci-fi. But in this regard, it for sure does go with some of those science rules. Then the definition goes on here. An artificial plane usually contains only one planet or solar system unlike some other planes, but some planes, such as Sarah's realm, don't contain planets at all. Artificial planes are usually inhabited only by creatures created by the planeswalker or by creatures borrowed, and borrowed's in, in air quotes, from other planes, which we will also talk about. So, planes, artificial planes get made. They aren't found usually, they are just created. And this was something that used to happen all the time back in the day, before a certain event that we like to call the mending. In a real broad overview, like the the pre-mending walkers were really powerful. They they were godlike power, um, and that's how they could make planes. Uh, these these planes that they have um, that we're that we're going to talk about, and uh, presumably many many more that just the story never featured because there was a lot of planeswalkers. Um, some of whom decided to make planes and some of whom decided they didn't need to have their own spaces like that or did other things. Uh, but then after the mending, well, I mean, there was a large series of apocalypse that, that uh, all occurred and threatened to crack the multiverse. And so once that stuff was all resolved, it seemed... And I think the the future site, the um, the Time Spiral Block books talk about this a little bit, and I think some of it's kind of just story hand wavy in the background. But like the universe kind of 
balanced out a little bit and said, okay, these people aren't going to be this powerful anymore. And that's where we get the Neo Walkers now. All the new Planeswalkers are just like normal people who can go to other planes. And now being able to go to other planes gives them access to other things, especially as mages. That can give them some extra power, some more diverse spells and things. So they can, they will generally be more powerful than a random person on a, on a normal planet. But they aren't by their very nature. Like the, the old planeswalkers, when they sparked, now they have godlike power. These, it's a little bit more, you got to work for your power. And that actually brings us right into our first plane profile. So I'm going to turn the keys over on the uh, planar portal device to you, Alex, to talk about Phyrexia. (laughs) All right. Well, in Phyrexia, and this is, we need to differentiate now because we have new Phyrexia, which in a manner of speaking, you'll be talking about a little bit later. Um, The original Phyrexia that uh, Yagmuth used um, was an artificial plane created by an unnamed planeswalker. We don't actually know who made it. Um, According to what uh, MTG Wiki has here, he was a humanoid that preferred the form of a dragon, um, and his plane was found by Diafed, who was a planeswalker who was from the Thrawn Empire and um, decided to go back to the Empire after planeswalking around for a while and ended up finding she could tell there was a planeswalker somewhere in her old uh, empire, you know, this, this old kingdom that she used to live in, and so she decided to go looking for him. And that leads into a whole story in the Thrawn, which was really interesting. I, I really enjoyed that book. But uh, she found Phyrexia, and when she was working with Yogmuth, um, he was looking for a place, kind of a refuge, to bring these people who were sick that he claimed he was helping, when in reality he was just experimenting on them. Um, so she introduced him to Phyrexia, and she created a portal that allowed him to bring all of these people to this plane that is not was not all that different from Mirrodin, actually, after its creation. The planet was an artificial world. There wasn't really living things. It was metal and, and like oil and all of this machinery and things that kind of didn't really know what it was for because it was just left there. Um, ultimately, Yogmoth, because he liked to experiment with people and learn how things worked, turned it into a lot of the Phyrexians that we later saw, but the, the fusion between machine and, and living creatures. Um, and then eventually the, the launched the war on Dominaria, and that led into the invasion cycle where the original, Yagma, or the original Phyrexia was actually destroyed by Urza. And it's interesting to me, too, just as a little uh, footnote on that, a great description. It's interesting to me, too, that um, Phyrexia is one of Phyrexia's other, like, sort of dominating features is that it's got nine spheres. And it's basically like it's it's a Mm -hmm. like a Russian nesting doll full of horrible, horrible things. The closer and closer you get to the middle and the middle is just Yagmuth controlling the very fabric of reality. But like, you know, it's it is essentially just Dante's Inferno put into magic. It's great. It's just hell. It's magic hell. Oh, yeah. So with Phyrexia, the home of the big bad knocked out here, let's sort of pivot to the little sister, basically, of Phyrexia, Yagmoth's pet project, almost his, like, summer plane, uh, Wrath. Yeah. So Wrath is really 
I think is really interesting. I think this is like a fascinating idea for a thing. So this was an artificial plane created by Yawgmoth. Um, it was created out of a material called flowstone, which was really kind of flexible in what it could turn into. Um, I see it described as semi-sentient, which I don't entirely know what that means, but it's interesting. Um, and it was created kind of in the shadow of Dominaria because the final invasion that happened during the invasion block phase one was planar portals Phyrexian troops come in, but phase two was the plane of wrath because it was artificial and made out of this flowstone material was actually overlaid onto Dominaria so that entire legions of Phyrexian troops were just placed in the middle of key locations. There isn't a lot of details about how Yogmoth actually made this. Um, talks about how he created this forge to make the flowstone and was able to kind of put this here. Um, I mean, and we know Yogmoth was powerful despite the fact that he wasn't a planeswalker. So, and then it also led to some interesting things. The overlay of Wrath onto Dominaria led to some interesting things that we see even in the, the most recent Dominaria set through um, like the, the Sky Shroud Forest was a feature on Wrath that laid over where the um, where Keld is, the, these red barbarians. So suddenly you have these the green elves, the red barbarians, their homeland is in the same place. And because of the invasion, there's all these zombies and Phyrexians going on. They're like, all right, let's team up and fight. And then afterwards, that's where you, you get Radha. She... she her line goes back, you know, her family goes back to those original human barbarians and Sky Shroud elves who came together to form, you know, something new out of this big disaster. So another old artificial plane that we see a little bit in the stories, uh, it, it plays a key role in the stories, but we're not there long, is Sarah's realm. And Sarah was a planeswalker, uh, a white aligned planeswalker, you know, Notoriously, she is worshipped by angels, and um, in Dominaria's set and story, we see that there is the Church of Sarah, uh, which is a you know a thing that's passed down from generations and generations ago of of this sort of cult of personality around Sarah the Planeswalker, and she built this world, Sarah's realm, basically to be almost the exact opposite of. Phyrexia, you know, where Phyrexia is completely black aligned, all black mana, you know, oil, you know, nine spheres of hell. Sarah's realm is an artificial plane that has basically no structure to it, no no situated flat land to, to rest on. There are all these floating platforms, these sky castles, these clouds, you know, and it's just this expansive heaven place basically sarah created all these angels to populate it there are humans there we're not exactly sure if sarah brought them from somewhere else or if she created the humans as well this features mostly in the urza saga stories um basically urza comes there to ask sarah for help with you know dealing with phyrexia and finding phyrexia and all of that and she kind of goes nah i'm just gonna hang out here because you know, it would suck to get involved. Basically, same logic as Teferi. It would suck to get involved. This place is great. I'm going to keep this in perfect balance. What happens, though, is the Phyrexians attack and invade in into Sarah's realm, bringing this black mana, corrupting the realm. And with 
what we see another part of artificial planes is that when they are unbalanced from their structure, it's really hard to get them back into balance. And so that that instant presence of black mana throws everything off. And Urza realizes this is his one thing that is good about him in this story. He realizes that the plane is going to corrupt and collapse and die anyways. And so what he does is he collapses the entire realm into the power stone that then he puts in the engine of the skyship Weatherlight. And uh, that's how we sort of get into modern day Weatherlight and Sarah's realm where it is in the Dominaria story. Which is also why when you see early in the the Dominaria story, they talk about this a little bit, but I, I love as a very quick aside, I hope, um, in the, the most recent stories, how they, they will have these little pieces that if you know the deep story, it pays off. But if you don't, it's okay because they don't dwell on it. They kind of just keep telling the story. But early on, like Tiana shows up to help with the the weather light and the, this core and like they're talking about it as a holy item for the church like she was there to retrieve it for the church because it is not just a sacred item that is important it is literally sarah's realm and that then moves us into i'm sort of going chronologically through these this moves us now into our next artificial plane which is mirrodin or new phyrexia um New Phyrexia now is is the former Mirrodin, which was before that Argentum, a plane made entirely out of silver. And go figure, this is a plane that was created by Karn, uh, who is a silver golem. And uh, Argentum, uh, you know, if you, if you don't know, is a Latin word. It comes from the Latin meaning silver. Ah, clever, clever magic. Um, but Karn created this basically this this mathematically perfect world made of silver renamed eventually it was renamed after the Mirari by Memnarch who was the Mirari um he he created these sort of golem watch beings to just sort of take care of Mirrodin there were a couple of moons of Mirrodin that that each had different ties to different mana colors there was no um green sun until we get to the fifth dawn story when it emerges so the interesting thing about mirrodin is it was completely artificial it was every every flower every blade of grass every tree was made of metal i mean oceans were quicksilver you know they have razor grass fields and eventually when creatures came to populate the plane there were um they became a mix of organic and metal. They were brought there by Memnarch with the, these devices, these planar portal devices essentially called soul traps that essentially bound them to the plane. We see later in the story that once those get all reset, the elders of Mirrodin you know, flash back to their home planes and then everything is left in chaos and, and all this sort of stuff. Um, and Karn himself brought glistening oil from the Phyrexian invasion corrupt the plane and the plane now 
has, you know, over time become New Phyrexia, uh, sort of fractured into five different color aligned factions. Which which is really, and there's some really cool things I think they did with to differentiate these Phyrexians from the original ones. The original Phyrexians, as uh, they were essentially made in Yagmuth's uh, image, or at least his ideas of what he wanted to do, they were like black, just, just black, because that's kind of where he was. Uh, but these Phyrexians are like naturalish, like sort of like they they developed in this symbiosis with a natural world, with a natural and artificial world, and so they sort of grew organically into the five colors because Mirrodin as a world had all five colors of mana present and lots of it in in the heart of Mirrodin, and so I think it's interesting how you kind of had these divisions within the within Phyrexia now, because they sort of had a more natural growth as opposed to having a single person who was engineering the whole thing. Also, as another quick, uh, you know, funny, like, Wizards, I see what you did there, Um, the Phyrexian symbol, that circle with a slash through it, that is the Greek letter phi. Ah, like Phyrexia. Yeah. Very good. I like it. And that'll take us to our final artificial plane bolus's meditation realm and who better to talk about that than our own resident bolus scholar hobbs well and bolus's meditation realm is kind of interesting in some ways because it was just this mysterious realm that could only be kind of accessed by dominarian um, that were really skilled servants specifically tetsu umazawa had kind of practiced for years to try to figure out how to get there he wanted to physically be able to travel to this realm um, and so he kind of sets this realm up and, and Bolas tracked it. He like tracked the energy so that he could find a way to kind of get there to, you know, he projected his mind to the realm and left his body unprotected, which I think led to some pretty bad stuff. I don't really remember that much of that part of the storyline. So if either of you do, please jump in because I don't remember, but I remember, isn't this around the time that we kind of like. Bolas basically left himself completely unprotected when he was still pre-sparking. Yep, that's exactly it. Well, it wasn't it wasn't pre-sparking, but it was a it was a moment where he leaves his body unguarded because he trusted Tetsuo to be his champion so much that Tetsuo yeah. decided to overthrow him um and, you know, cut his spirit in half, uh escape the realm and then crushed his body in the uh in the real tangible world as well right and then and then at this point now so that's yes and so now post mending what we've seen this realm be is kind of it's like bolus's hideout it's basically where everybody that he's kind of recruited has come to at some point so we know that sarkin visited it kind of following his assignment from bolus at the eye of ugin and he was kind of debriefed there. This is where the pools of becoming are, which we've seen the gems of becoming in one of the cards already. It's kind of the gem that is between Bolus's horns. And when he arrives, he basically finds Bolus reconstructing the body of Tezzeret. Um, and we also have Raska having been visited here, where she kind of got this promise of the leadership of the Golgari if she just did this minor little thing where she traveled to Ixalan and kind of located the immortal sun. And this is kind of, this is all we really have seen of this realm to date. So we don't really know as much about this one. I mean, I don't even really kind of see, you know, it's like who created it. It's a lot more kind of nebulous in terms of it being an artificial plane. 
and I, and I was wondering if you either of you knew more about it from that perspective, because anything that I studied on this was just kind of a, we don't really know how to get there more so than that this was created. So yeah, it's a, it's a little less of a, I, I think it's still in my mind, at least I think of it as an artificial plane, a created plane, but it's a lot less, you know, blood and, and guts and, and grime and, and, you know, grit than it is like a spiritual realm. You know, it's a, it's a place where you go metaphysically more than you do physically. And at this point, we kind of see that this one is at least listed as quote unquote being stable right now. Mm-hmm. So I think that this is a realm or a plane, and especially if it is artificial, that we are going to get to find a little bit more about. Well, and we're kind of at a point where we're, we're currently with the core 19 story. We're looking at Bullis's backstory, which may or may not cover this. But he is a very present part of our current storyline, at least that we saw in Ixalan, um, and see him show up at the very, very tail end of Dominaria. Well, I mean, the whole point of the Dominarian story, too, was trying to get allies to fight him. Um, so I suspect, I, I think that you're going to be right, Hobbs, that in, in Ravnica... Not only will he show up, but that as some part of his story, we're going to find out some more about this place. Yep. And so we kind of have a broad range of what these artificial planes are, what they how you get to them, what they are, who exists there. And so this kind of ties us into our real world discussion today, which is shaping the reality that you want. And so. Uh, you know, maybe you can lead us into this discussion here, Hobbs, as as our resident psychologist as well. What is what are we talking about when we say defining our own reality or shaping reality in our own minds? Everything kind of we've talked about this a little bit before, but perspectives and everything comes down to our for other each of us can have our own perspectives and our own perception of what is happening. Two of us seeing the same situation are actually experiencing very different things because we're bringing everything of who we are to that situation. We're bringing our past experiences. We're bringing our thoughts that we're having. We're bringing our emotional state with us kind of to whatever scenario or situation that we end up in. And we're kind of seeing in the storyline, we have these powerful beings that are trying to create they're almost nirvana, they're utopia, but they're trying to create a world that conforms to their worldview of what they want to see. So in some ways, if at least Bolas being in this realm, what we know about it is it is a place of meditation. There's not people there. This is not a place that people just are allowed to be to versus Sarah's was like a giant party. It was meant to be a, a, a version of heaven with other angels and like-minded people kind of around in it. And we see that each of the planeswalkers or each of the people that we know of in these realms are trying to create situations that are conducive to what they, how they see themselves. It's very egocentric, is what we would call it in the sense that it matches their worldview, their alignment. You know, um, Sarah did not have, a balance to this where she was having good and evil. She she had what she thought was perfection in there. And I'm wondering kind of what you guys think about this, like from your own experiences with what you've seen in the world and what type of world would you actually create if you could? It's interesting to just to dovetail onto what you said before I, I answer that question. Um, 
you know, I, I sort of posited Sarah's Realm versus Phyrexia, original Phyrexia, you know, where they're the classic heaven and hell tropes. But also, that was what Yagma thought was perfection. You know, he saw humans as frail beings that needed to be artificially perfected. Again, we talk about perspectives. When we look at it from what we'd consider a moral, what we'd consider like sort of the socially moral perspective, that's not good. The what, what he did, not good. Not good at all. But from his perspective of, you know, perfecting humanity and making existence exactly what he wanted it to be, that to him was perfection too. And that's fascinating to me that you can have those two very different viewpoints and you see it that tangibly reflected in the construction and composition of those worlds. There was, yeah, there was a, a really chilling scene, I believe, in Invasion, the first book for the, the Invasion block, where uh, his, Yagmut's general for the first wave of the invasion, Sabo Tabak, um, was vivisecting some people. And she was comparing, like talking to the Metathron, which were a artificial race that Urza created to try to protect Dominaria. And she had a Metathron vivisected next to a human and comparing and saying you know look how frail this human is and look at all these weak points and snap one vertebrae and now they're paralyzed and you know compared to the metathron and look at this wonderful craftsmanship and trying to i can't remember who she was even talking to but definitely drawing some parallels between urza and yagmoth and it was yeah it's really chilling <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And, and and that's, you know, it's interesting to think about this in real world terms is how we shape our environments around us. I even think just about like what you do to decorate your own home. Like, you know, just to, just to bring this even to a lighter note, but like what is what is your home around you look like? And, you know, for me, I used to not care so much about the aesthetics of my home about my apartment that i used to live in it was this cramped little studio apartment in downtown minneapolis and it always had piles of clothes everywhere i had you know piles of magic cards on shelves i had dishes in the sink i had you know but also a little bit you know unintentionally that was a a reflection of my mind at the time where i was going through just a a ton of uh, depression and anxiety where i sort of didn't have a direction i hadn't figured out that i wanted to go back to school for teaching yet you know i just was sort of all over the place myself and so you know, a little bit, I think we do affect, even even unconsciously, we affect the world around us to look like our minds. And it's a little bit funny to think about, like, you know, if you're listening to this in a cubicle, like, look around and see, what have you hung up on the walls? You know, what is it that you value or that, re- like, reflects your mind? I think that's an interesting practice to think about in our own lives. Should I be worried that I just look to my left at a giant bolus poster? <laughs> Well, I mean, no, because Burles <laughs> is the hero. Isn't that what you've been telling us? I, I, I'm, I'm just going by the perception that other people may have. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but but see, again, perspectives. Yeah. yeah you're, um, and, and, and to Joe, just to dovetail what you, on what you've been saying, too, it's, it's a little bit uh, referential back and forth. Um, I found, and oh, I wish I could remember where I read this, there was someone um, was talking about, like, just clutter 
costs you like brain space sometimes Mm. and like that can contribute to to some feelings of uh not necessarily anxiety but that to just some unease and and i have found that literally if i'm starting to feel in a funk a little bit just like all right i'm going to clean off my computer desk i'm going to get rid of these cans i'm going to organize the stuff that i have piled that i want to keep but don't have a place for it maybe i'll just stick the box in the corner and like just doing that sometimes helps bring me into a better mental place well i mean you you almost are bringing up the concept in some ways of mindfulness um so uh, do you guys know anything about mindfulness just to start off with i guess (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's a, a lot of it is just the act of consciously living. I mean, that's the I guess the easiest way to boil it down. It's it's thinking about your breathing. It's thinking about the way that you're holding your spine when you sit. It's, you know, thinking about how you're chewing your food, you know, and and some of those are just examples of ways that you can be mindful, but it's it's that act of consciously doing actions rather than just reacting, rather than just doing. Yeah, so you know, you bring up the example of, say, brushing your teeth or eating, which is just something that we almost do automatically. And um, when you do that, you actually are not aware of all the sensations and everything that's going on in your body. And you can use sometimes these tools to be mindful. Is like you said, it's a purposeful action. It actually is supposed to be a very non judgmental action, too. So when you're eating something mindfully, you are paying attention to how the sensation is of it, like a piece of chocolate. You know, what does it feel like on your tongue? It's not about just doing it quickly. It's not about just swallowing. It's it's all the actions that go into. But it's also about not really, it's a non-judgmental approach. And, and you see this a lot when it comes to things like deep breathing um so like the the act of breathing the the purpose of it when you're doing it from a mindful perspective you're not supposed to count your breath you're really not supposed to change or alter it it's not about it's just about noticing and it's about kind of being and in some ways alex what you're describing changing your environment can be an act of mindfulness to just be aware of what your environment is looking like around you at that time um to make a conscious decision that I'm going to wash the dishes, I'm going to clean up. And, and the idea being that, you know, from a cognitive perspective, we always talk about everything that's happening is happening. You know, we can make changes in our thinking, our emotions, our, our behavior. We can also make changes in our environment. And we're kind of seeing with these artificial planes, people are trying to take that piece of what I would call the cognitive theory when we're trying to change our mood or we're trying to change it and we're doing it by just changing the environment around us. That's a great thought. It's it's almost to I I spaced on if you said this in in what you just said, Hobbs, but it's almost like the idea of manifesting something. I don't necessarily believe in the actual practice of manifesting where you think about something and then it happens, you know, like I, I want to make more money and then it happens. You manifest money, but I, you can do, I, I think you can do that. It's, it's kind of that step out from mindfulness. You can think about how can I be more productive in my work and then maybe I'll get a promotion or how can I be, 
how can I get through more articles to write and therefore I will earn more money? Or how can I structure my day more efficiently and therefore have a better work-life balance and all that sort of stuff that that sort of manifesting, you know, just putting your mind on it. It's, it's the it's the old phrase of put your mind to it. And, you know, or or uh, for us baseball fans, Yogi Bear is the game is 99% mental and the other half physical. So I recently just got back actually from a conference and it was a conference on vocation. It was a conference on uh, career development. Um, it had an emphasis on everything from, you know, older people trying to return to work to students, high school. It was all the different kind of areas, right? The, 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 anything that could be a career development is what this conference was about. The best talk that I saw during this conference was on how do we apply chaos theory to making goals and to setting goals when it comes to something like vocation. Because the problem is we treat most things in life as if they are linear. You know, we treat them as if they're a linear thing that is going to happen, okay? And, and what we know is that most things aren't linear. In fact, most things, yeah, most things are definitely not linear. And so, how do we take advantage of that? And and chaos theory kind of tells us that part of what we should do is simply we should take advantage of those situations. So like you said, Joe, if I think that I want to have money, I'm not going to just have money the next day. If But I can try to take advantage of situations where I might get lucky. So maybe I do attend a meeting where I know that I might have a chance encounter with somebody to network. So, you know, the idea being that a lot of what happens in business does happen from chance encounters. You hear a lot about networking. Networking is a huge deal. So, well, even though you can't predict which conversation may lead to the outcome that you want, you can put yourself in the situation to just have lots of conversations, to try to, at the, at the top of this, before we ever started, uh, Alex and I were kind of talking a little bit about statistical probability and this idea that they're, that like people don't really understand stats. Um, and that's why people struggle with this concept of luck, actually, or even just, it, it, and I would say this applies in a lot to magic when this, you know, the shuffler screwed me, you know, uh, this very unlikely thing happened. Well, statistics are simply not going to say that unlikely things don't happen. They're just unlikely to happen, so they don't happen as frequently. But if you have enough events, it's going to happen at some point. And I think that that is kind of what this chaos theory is playing off of is you just put yourself in the situation where you can try to have that event happen while you're there. And that is what these artificial planes in some ways are. They're trying to create situations that will thus mimic what they want to have happen. I think, too, you know, just sort of pulling this even more into – the what the mind space of these creators was when we get there um you know when they what the mind space of these creators was when they made the planes it, you know karn for instance I, th I think about this a lot karn created mirrodin to be this perfect plane not perfect in the terms of Sarah's realm because he's been there. I mean, he'd seen what had happened. He tended the engines of the Weatherlight. He knows Sarah's realm and that story. Not perfect in the terms of Phyrexia because he also knows about Phyrexia. But perfect just as in balanced. He actually was trying to eliminate mathematical chance and just balance everything. He wanted it to be completely like cause and effect you know, structured. 
And, you know, I think part of that is he had had this lifetime of seeing uh, humanity and organic and natural things just, you know, corrupt for one way or another. Maybe it was greed. Maybe it was lust. Maybe it was power. Maybe it was just simple chaos. But he tries to build this artificial world where none of that will happen and yet it still happens and that's that's fascinatingly tragic to me he cre- he's trying to create uh what is it like a sound box it's kind of how i think of it that's just a little device that has this mathematical thing that goes through its whole programming and that's what it is and well, unfortunately something that large and intricate it doesn't take a whole lot to just shift it you know a little bit to one side and all of a sudden everything's thrown off just it- well it's it's the gathering momentum at some point it's unstoppable right and that's that whole element of chaos theory the chances start getting larger and larger and larger as you follow one of those statistical probabilities i think too i i I think a lot about the influence that being a former i mean being the creation of urza being his servant in a way his test subject basically and then if now essentially being part urza you know he's his planeswalker heir in a way um i i think a lot of what karn does is trying to right the wrongs of of weirdly the person that i would call his father it's sort of the sins of the father visited on the son here um and i i think that is a lot of why he created mirrod in the way he did urza so staunchly defended dominaria but dominaria was flawed it was always going to be flawed and i I wonder too if some of it was he was part of that like the invasion is just like a horrific event and to to go back to maybe trauma a little bit and 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 the invasion was just the capstone on this whole thing like Ur, Karn and Urza had been battling the Phyrexians in various different ways for a very long time and I wonder if once the invasion was done he's like okay the threat is over Yogmoth is dead Phyrexia is neutralized. I want I, I need quiet. I need peace. I need catharsis. I'm gonna go build this plane of just perfection with no living thing, no unpredictability, and it's going to just run through its its paces, this world of mathematic you know, perfect mathematics. Right. It's almost this kid who has a really tough time at school, you know, doesn't have friends or just is having a tough time in classes or something, but he goes home and he logs on to Minecraft. It's kind of an escapism i mean like that's what a lot of hobbies are i mean and like especially hobbies of fantasy can do that but a lot of things it gives you a place to go that is different than the place you are at and different than the place you have been and that i think fits for a lot of these worlds well i think uh, unless you guys have anything else to put in on this you know or uh, any last notes i think that's a really good place to stop maybe we just you know end it with this sort of you know, uh, not plea, but this request to all of you listening and, and to each of us individually, this sort of, you know, charge to be mindful about creating the world around you that you want. It's that it's the whole golden rule. Treat others the way you want to be treated. You know, you do, it's not just your physical space. It's your, it's your personality. It's your interactions with people. But, you know, if you give out, kindness love warmth care people will see that and more often than not they will reflect it you know that that whole 
effect on the world around you. If you want that, you know, create your plane, create your reality around you, do things to affect it. You have that power. I, I will even say just as an experiment that you can try this week and it, it's, it, trust me, it's something that's really, really simple. Um, I used to work with a pharmacy student that was um, joining in on some of our groups in psychology and was learning kind of about a lot of the theories and how things kind of worked. And he had said that, you know, people are generally in their day-to-day life are, are, are they're going to and from places. And we work in a medical center that is very large. And he would notice that even here in the Midwest, people had their head down and were just on their way. So he just started smiling at people when he passed them in the hallway. And I don't really want to talk about what happened. I mean, I'm sure people are kind of thinking, but I really would encourage you to try this in your own life is to go out there and to see what happens if you do something as simple as smile at somebody. Let's uh, let's do one quick whip around here, bringing back to sort of a a lighthearted, a goofy note. what is one thing, if you were on your own artificial plane, what's one thing that you would make sure to put on there for yourself? Let's start with you, Alex. So I think there's a, a lot of good answers for this, but I'm pretty sure there's only one right answer. <laughs> and that answer is to make sure that I have some doggos on my plane. Mm, because good. I gotta have some got to have some puppers to go with the memory foam. Good choice. Hobbs. What, what, we let Alex go first? Jeez. I mean, because I think we all know that I was probably going to just start off here with doggos, too. So, you know, you can you can totally like I said, there's only one right answer. You can also be right. (laughs) I'm willing to share that with you, Hobbs. Well, you know what? So so I determined that instead that I instead of us doing this, instead of us me choosing just the same answer, I'm going to just even go more lighthearted and say that I am going to have homunculi. Because they're kind of the doggos of magic. They, they really are. Yeah. That's a good choice. They are good boys. And as for me, I, I can't get away from it. I, I do have to say the other right answer, and really the best right answer, which is cats. Cats for commanders. <laughs> All God. day. This is a cats <laughs> podcast. It's, it's not that I have anything against cats, but I mean, they just aren't dogs. I'm not sure if it's because they're not trying hard enough or if there's just something else going on. I'm trying not to hold it against them. Well, to be fair, dogs and magic aren't dogs either. They're hounds. And that is a whole other thing. (laughs) And that's a whole other podcast. Oh, God. That's our show. Thanks for listening. You can find Joe Redman on Twitter at Findhorn. You can find HobbsQ on Twitter at HobbsQ. And you can find Alex on Twitter at AlexanderNewM. You can find the podcast at GoblinLorePod. And you can email us any questions, comments, or concerns at GoblinLorePodcast at gmail.com. Thank you all for listening. And remember, goblins, like snowflakes, are only dangerous in numbers. <laughs>